0: Good morning. The scripture from this morning is from Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. They say how would God know does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They are always free of care. They go on amassing wealth Surely in vain. I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence All day long. I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments if i had spoken out like that i would have betrayed your children when i tried to understand all this it troubled me deeply till i entered the sanctuary of god then i understood their final destiny surely you place them on slippery ground you cast them down to ruin how suddenly they are destroyed completely swept away by terrors They are like a dream. When one awakes, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds, of all your deeds. The word of the Lord.
1: Appreciate Elder Marcus um, slipping in that mention about the fall air being inside the room, which uh, we feel this morning, a little chilly here. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, One way that you can uh, maybe warm yourselves up throughout the sermon is by uh, speaking out loud, declaring an amen where the Lord leads you. In agreement with his word Um, it's good to be here together with you and to consider together God's holy word so let's pray one more time and ask for God's help in this time let's pray Jesus we're asking for you to help us deep within that you would work in our hearts Pouring your spirit of truth and grace into our hearts and extending his power all throughout even our mortal bodies, through our lives, to our fingertips, as it were, that we would be changed by your grace. So come now, bless this time, and lift up the light of your glory. Help us to see you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most helpful things about the Bible is the honesty with which its many authors talk about their spiritual struggles. There's almost no religious text out there that talks so bluntly about how hard it is to follow and seek after God about how often it is that we fall, sometimes even fall flat on our faces. The Bible invites this kind of honesty by modeling honesty before us. Well, the author of today's psalm, Psalm 73, tells us a story, an honest story, about a time that he almost fell over a spiritual cliff. Oh, that's the way that he describes his struggle with something that I think we all struggle with more or less and at different times maybe even multiple times throughout the day throughout the week and it's simply this envy envy Uh, we find the word in verse 3 for I envied you know how it is someone has something that you wish you had Something that you really want. Uh, maybe it's a pain-free life. Maybe it's a friend. Or a house. Maybe a spouse. Or maybe it's a, a, a total life upgrade that you're looking for. More time to travel. Maybe it's more money. A better job. A better body. A better house. A better spouse. I envied when I saw, he says, looking over his shoulder at his neighbors around him. I envied when I saw. You see, envy festers in the heart, but it gets triggered by what you see on the phone, in your neighbor's yard, someone else's prosperity. Beloved, what have you been eyeing? What do you see? Can you detect in your heart even a little bit of envy? But there's a particular kind of envy that the psalmist confesses, and I wonder if you can relate. He says, For I envied who? The arrogant, he says in verse 3, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, everything seems to be going well for them. Though they are rightly called wicked. Everything seems to be going well. They have no struggles, verse 4. Or at least the struggles that I have. At least that's the way it looks like from over here. Their bodies are healthy and strong. No illness, no chronic pain. Have you seen that six-pack on that guy? Life seems good for them. They're adorned with prosperity, verse 3. They go on amassing wealth, verse 12. They're even popular, verse 10. People turn to them. Man, they seem so free. Free from common human burdens, verse 5. Free from the kind of burdens that I struggle with day to day. Always free of care, verse 12. And free of accountability, too. Pride is their necklace. They're not even nice people sometimes, verse 6. They clothe themselves with violence. Their evil imaginations have no limits, verse 7. And verse 8, they speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Flat out, they're terrible, which is to say, in my heart of hearts, they're not too different from you and me, maybe. They're terrible, but here's the thing, they always seem to get away with it. And here's the real reason why this is a problem for the psalmists, and let's be honest, for us. If life is going so well for them, the wicked, why am I wasting my time and energy being not wicked? Have I been a fool? Cries the heart. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. You can hear the exhaustion in this psalm. Maybe you can even hear it in your own heart. The simmering resentment. I'm tired of trying to do the right thing. The faithful thing. The humble thing. The holy thing. All day long. Tired of being responsible. Tired of loving people. Loving people. Tired sometimes of following Christ. Don't want to be like him no more. Is God good to the good guys? Because it sure seems like nice guys finish last. God is not good to me. God is not near to me. See, you can almost hear the, the hurricane of, a, of emotion and confusion and, and inner turmoil, uh, the weariness, the cynicism, the doubt. Maybe that describes some of you this morning. It's why the psalmist wrote in, in verse 2, my, my feet almost slipped, spiritually speaking. I, I, I nearly lost my foothold in my faith. The picture's almost like a, a gymnast on a, on a balance beam trying to regain her balance. Or, or, or a mountain climber at the edge of a cliff teetering, waving her arms, trying to stay whole. It's why in verse 21 and 22 we have this confession with words of such colorful honesty. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You see, that's what envy mixed with self-pity can do. It brings us to a spiritual state of near spiritual insanity. I was a brute beast before you, senseless, out of my spiritual mind, bitter. Can you relate? By the end of the psalm, the inner storm has passed. The envy has been overcome, at least for another day. Verse 28, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. See, by the end of the psalm, the brute beast has once again become the the trusting child. So what happened? What changed? Look at verses 16 and 17. Where we find the turning point of the entire psalm and the turning point in this person's heart. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Old Testament scholar and commentator Derek Kidner writes this about that phrase there. He says, the light breaks in as he turns to God himself. And it's in the sanctuary where the psalmist is confronted with the loving and compassionate and the powerful presence of God that the speaker has, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, come to his senses. See, I was in bondage to envy. It was tearing me up inside till I entered the sanctuary. I lusted after the life of the wicked till I entered the sanctuary. I was senseless. Spiritually, I had lost my mind. Till, what? I entered the sanctuary. I doubted the goodness of God. I had forgotten the love of God. Until when? Till I entered the sanctuary of God. For it was there in the sanctuary, there in the personal presence of God, there where he could behold the beauty of God that the psalmist encountered two powerful things. One, the true destiny of the wicked, and two, the true inventory of the pure in heart. The true destiny of the wicked being simply this, that their lives at some point run out of good cheer that there is a time, both in this life and the next, in which our sin and evil and iniquity catches up with us. This is what the psalmist notices. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. And these are the ones that I was envying, wishing my life could be like theirs? Thank you Lord for helping me to see the fuller story. You know, those mirrors that we find on our cars uh, where in order to give a wider view of what's behind you, the side rear view mirrors There's often that little label, you know it. Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. What's the idea there? Where you kind of pan out so you can see more things, but they're actually closer than they might seem. In the same way, in the sanctuary, the psalmist got a wide-angled lens of the destiny of the wicked, these whom the psalmist was once envying. And what does that wide-angle lens view reveal is that if you keep on fast-forwarding the tape, as it were, you would see that their lives don't end in the ways that it appears they begin. And that consequence, even that judgment as it were, for our evil and sin, oh, it's closer than it at first appears. See the problem with envy isn't that you're seeing too much, it's actually that you're seeing too little. Only seeing the the surface and the narrow view of what seems so good. It's only in the presence of God in the sanctuary that the psalmist sees the true destiny of the wicked, but he also sees the true inventory of the pure in heart. God is not good to the pure in heart. God has forgotten me. Check out what he learns, what he sees in the presence of God. Verse 23, yet I am always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. And then verse 25, some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture, Whom have I in heaven, all of heaven, besides you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you my flesh and my heart may fail I I, I may die I may falter but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever and notice at this moment how how personal and and how sweet these words have become for the psalmist writing so personally right not just God is near but you hold me by my right hand and then you guide me along like a daddy caring for his little child come along here I know it's scary outside I know you can't see I know it's dark I know it feels threatening I know you feel nervous I've got your hand holding me never letting me go Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. I mean, think about what is being confessed here, given the envious state of his heart just moments ago when he was saying, there's so much I wish I had that I don't have that they all have that I'm dying to have. And look at me, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't have what they have and I want this and I want that and I want that six pack and i want this whatever it might be the envy of your heart what is it for you you're looking out there all the things that they have and all the things i don't have here's the psalmist comes into the presence of god in the sanctuary of god and here's his confession i have everything i have everything in god whom have i in heaven but you and earth has by comparison nothing i desire besides you." Notice how many times in these verses the psalmist says the word "you. You desire you, have you. You." Friends, he's rediscovered God. And he discovered that he was always there. Always one in which, in Christ, he had full possession of. Always the one to whom he belonged. He thought he was poor and lacking, hence the envy. But as one commentator observes, now he's discovered a relationship with God, which is a wealth of another kind. Here, the psalmist has changed from saying, I want their life, to looking up to God and saying, I want your life. From looking out around him to his neighbors and saying, I want their stuff, to now looking up to God and saying, I want you. See, what's the true inventory of the pure in heart? You may have stuff, you may not have stuff. You may be the envy of your neighbors or you may struggle with envy of your neighbors. But guess what you've got? You have God. And as a commentator puts it, Derek Kidner, the psalmist comes to rest in what God is. To him. It's in the sanctuary of God that the psalmist recovers what we might call gospel sanity. That in the midst of the emotional turmoil, the questioning, the confusion, the doubt the assessment of my life in comparison to everyone else that seems to be doing better. I'm a fool. Am I? Why am I so tired wasting my time and energy chasing after holiness and righteousness and love and justice when the rest of them that don't care about any of those things seem to be doing so much better. Now, now here's a reorientation towards God into reality. How life actually works. A reorientation towards God, an awakening to His love, where He brings into God's presence that heart full of envy, and maybe that's you today, or maybe it's not envy. Maybe tomorrow it's something else. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're bringing in anger. Maybe it's weariness. Maybe for you it's discouragement from the past week and the verdict that came out of Wisconsin, you just don't know exactly how to process that right now. Maybe it's a hardness of heart that you've just been feeling for months on end now. Maybe it's just sheer exhaustion, you're ready to quit because of this pandemic that won't quit. But you see, there is an awakening There is an eye-opening, there is a liberating of heart that we find right at the center of this psalm. But what we need to notice is that it didn't happen for him, nor should we expect it to happen to us till I entered the sanctuary of God. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about cultivating a daily rhythm of spending time with God in his word and in prayer. Reading the Bible, talking with God, enjoying the presence of God. But what Pastor Yancey and I have been trying to emphasize as we've been talking about the importance of instilling this practice for spiritual life and growth... Is that our interest and the Bible's interest isn't simply in trying to get us to do rote religious things. You know, just merely reading words on a page. Checking off the checkbox on, hey, I did my devotions or my quiet time. Getting it done with. Rather, our emphasis has been on the spiritual heart of the matter. What God truly calls us to. And so we looked at John 15, where Jesus himself invites us to a certain kind of abiding in him remaining in Him, remaining organically connected to Christ like a vine is connected to its branches, so plugged in that there's just a flow of life back and forth between us and Christ. It's not so much something that you do as it is something that you are. It's an invitation to abide, to practice the presence of God as it were and to learn to do it as a delight which of course Pastor Yancey drew out so helpfully last week in Psalm 119 where we looked at the way in which the Bible encourages us to meditate on God's word in prayer to to sort of savor it to, to gaze at it to long for it And this word that came up again and again last week delight in it not just running through it to get through it, but to meditate and marinate in God's Word and in His presence. And here today we have this picture of the transformative sanctuary of God, the encounter with God that we're invited into, yes, through His Word and through prayer talking with God and using the words of God to speak with him. It's sort of our script with which we talk with God. But to do it in a way where it's clear that we're trying to sit and commune with God and to be in his holy place. Where we can, in the language of Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk, where we can make a a private chapel of our heart, a sanctuary right here, even where you are. Which isn't to say that this gathering on Sundays isn't crucial, this is the starting point, but as we disperse and go to our different stations in life, there's a chapel of our heart where we can, Brother Lawrence says, retire from time to time to commune with him peacefully, humbly, lovingly, everyone is capable of these intimate conversations with God this way in which we can find not only food for our souls but light for our darkness a signpost for our disorientation quiet amidst the storm because we live with a lot of noise out here And we bear a lot of noise in here as well, don't we? Come to the sanctuary of God to turn down the noise and the cacophony of life. The brokenness and the pain. Bringing it into the presence of God where you can be reoriented to the promises of God. His truth, His grace, taking true inventory of who God is that your soul might erupt with a similar prayer. Yes, my heart was grieved. My spirit was embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. But now I see I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven? But you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Come to the sanctuary. Come with your envious heart. Come with your heart and broken and fearful and confused hearts. And let the truth and the grace of the presence of God transform you. What do we need to do, friends? I mean, this really takes concrete and practical form, doesn't it? It means that we need to learn how to quiet our anxious and our noisy hearts by sitting still. Friends, we need to carve out time and space on a routine rhythmic basis to exhale gather ourselves, and to be still before God. There was a time in my pastoral ministry in years prior that I used to work really hard to try to lower the bar so much to make this time with God that we're talking about more accessible. Hey, don't worry, you can do it on the fly. Uh, You can do it in the metro. Hey, don't worry, it, it won't take too much time. And of course, that's true in one sense. We can meet with God anywhere, at any time, for however long we have. That is true true always but to truly still our hearts to to truly get reoriented in a sanity saving way in the presence of God you need to guard some time Uh, If you know that you need to build time in to get in a daily or weekly workout for the health of your body, why do you think you need to do any less for the health of your soul? Carving out time. I used to also say, well, it doesn't really matter any time of the day that we do this. And of course, that is in principle true. We can take a snack or a meal at any time and our souls will always need it. But I've come to believe with a little bit more assurance that nothing can replace starting the day meeting with God in the morning. Something the Bible invites us to. Something that it even commends to us that we might be able to declare with Moses as captured in Psalm 90 verse 14 Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days Fuel my heart with your love in the morning so that I can run on that fuel throughout today Reorient me to your truth in the morning. Without doing that, I shouldn't be surprised if my heart is scattered and pointed in all kinds of directions. Reorient me to your truth. Guide me by my hand. Lead me by your grace. And help me to know that whatever happens today, I have a Heavenly Father who loves me. And to start off that day that way. What can it look like, friends, for us throughout the day, but especially in the morning, to carve out time intentionally to be able to quiet our anxious and noisy hearts? To maybe, maybe wake up a little bit earlier than you have. Just a little bit. To spend time with God. To crack open His Word. To pray with God. To bask in His presence. Maybe it means committing, and here might be a challenge, to abiding by the principle, Scripture before screen. To let the first thing that you input into your mind and through your eyes You know, envy starts with the eyes. The first thing that you input into your mind, into your hearts, into your souls might be not the news, not your email, not another thing, but the very words of God. Again, because it's not just a checklist, it's finding counsel and guidance to be oriented in the direction of the reality of God. So what is true, and what is beautiful, and what is real to you? And to settle down and spend time in the presence of God each day. You've heard us mention, Pastor Yancy and myself, the Daily Prayer Project, and I want to commend it to you one more time, especially as we head into the Advent season. That's just a little guide, a booklet, that was made by some of our brothers and sisters at Grace Mosaic, a very helpful resource that helps you to pray and to be in God's Word every single day. A morning prayer and an evening prayer for each day of the week, Monday through Saturday, I mean, sorry, Sunday through Saturday, that just cycles on itself throughout the month. It's a liturgical resource which means it's structured and it draws upon the language of scripture and of some historic prayers. But have you ever found yourself in the jam where you want to pray, but you suddenly find yourself not knowing what to say? Sometimes it's helpful to have some help, especially early in the morning when your brain is still foggy. I know I need that help. Just to be able to walk through something steadily and to be able to be almost told by God what might be good, right, true and pleasing to him. It walks you through scripture an Old Testament reading, a psalm reading, a New Testament reading, but here it is. This is a flexible resource. You don't have to go through all of it all the time. You can use certain pieces of it with yourself, maybe even with your family, with your kids, but it takes you through different passages of Scripture and different Psalms and it's very helpful and again something that we want to commend to our church as something that's worth trying on. So, for example, I have today's Daily Prayer Project prayer right here in front of me. And it says here on Sunday, the morning prayer, it starts with a call. Psalm 118. You just read this briefly. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Maybe you say that out loud. Maybe you let it settle into your soul over your cup of coffee. Maybe you take a couple deep breaths just to let your heart be still. And then there's a psalm that you can read. That's the next step. You look up the date and you say, today is November 21 and it tells me that today's psalm reading is Psalm 93. So you turn to your Bibles or on your phones and it says Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed the world is established, firm, and secure. This Psalm only has five verses, fairly short. The reading might be short, it might take longer, but it's just a Psalm that you can have wash over you for that day. And then there's something called the Gloria. A historic little song of praise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. Maybe you know this. Glory be to the Father. Right? You can sing it. You can read the words and make that too a passing prayer of praise unto God. And then hear a beautiful segment. Fourth, silence. Or a song. Just to sit there in silence for a second. Or maybe sing a song. Gather yourself. And then here's an Old Testament reading. The reading for this day is Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10 and 13 and 14. Hey, look at that, 24 verses. Yippee. So you read the verses from Daniel 7. And then you move to this segment called Abiding. This is a way in which you can just meditate on something that you are praying for. A quiet way, again, of basking in the presence of God. Of not just spewing words. You'll get to asking things of God, but here is a chance for you simply to sit with Jesus like Mary in the presence of the scurrying around of her sister Martha. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, being in his presence and listening to him. And then finally, there's prompted prayer. And sometimes someone says, hey, why don't you pray for other people or for the world or for the church? And you say, I would love to do that, but I have no idea what to say. Look at this. Bullet points. How helpful. Pray for the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your community. For an awareness of the global and beautiful body of Christ. And third, for the witness and hospitality of the church to be experienced in your place. Okay, so you sit and you pray for that. Doesn't need to be long, but God bless our church community that it might be filled with the Holy Spirit in even my block today, that there might be the presence of God felt in these yards and among these families and households. Praying for the body of Christ and its beauty. And remembering perhaps suffering brothers and sisters around the world. And then praying for the witness and hospitality of the church to be experienced in your place. That every person that comes into our home or into our yard or into my life might taste something of the hospitality of God. Three bullet points, just a few minutes of prayer, and then finally closing in the Lord's Prayer. It's right here. This can be done in just a few minutes. If you have more time, it can be done in a longer space of time. And that's the morning prayer. Maybe that's enough for you. But some of you may say, I want to bookend my day, having met with God. And so there's an evening prayer as well. Again, it's flexible. For some of you that might feel intimidating. Others of you say, no, I need that. I need to start the day with Christ and I need to finish the day with Christ. Here's a way in which you can do that. The evening prayers are generally shorter. And there are printed prayers that you can pray as well. Friends, a resource, this itself will not save you. This itself is not God's presence, but it's a tool and an instrument that might aid you if you feel your heart's longing for more of the presence of God. If you want to, on a daily basis, enter the sanctuary of God. I'll be sending out a resource to you electronically over email. You can find printed copies of the Advent series, which will start next week, right outside on the tables, on your way out through the foyer. In closing, I want to point out this. For all the wild commotion and cacophony of soul that the psalmist confesses throughout this psalm, he hits that turning point till... I found God till I spent time in the presence of God till I entered the sanctuary of God and then the psalm finishes with quietness that confession at the very end verse 28 but as for me it is good to be near God it is good to be near God not only is it true that God is near me uh, beloved spending time in the presence of God the fruit of such a life that cultivates such habits is one who doesn't merely do the thing but delights in the thing doesn't just do the nearness of God but rejoices in the nearness of God it is good to be near God. Friends, do you want to be near to the God who in Christ has already drawn near even to broken, sinful people like you and me? And will you then sing along with the psalmist with a crescendo of heart as you cultivate these practices more and more the sung confession it is good To be near God. Let's pray. There's no one nearer to us than you in Christ. God, you're nearer to us even than we are to ourselves. But our lives are full of noise. And we're seeking to be quieted enough that we might be able to hear your voice. Our our lives are full of the presence of so many other things. We're seeking to clear some space so that we can finally see that you are present. Uh, Our lives are are crowded out with so many lies that, that we're actually seeking to overwrite the lies with your truth. Our lives are defined by so much ungrace that we're seeking to be washed over again and again by your grace. Our lives are marked by so much disorientation that we need reorientation towards you, God, towards your love. We want to be changed by your love, day in and day out. So would you, by your grace, make it our confession. It is good to be near God. So take us to your sanctuary. And do this by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.